Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson, and joining us today is our co-host, Damon Mazik. Damon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I'm ready to uh, take some questions here from our subscribers. Okay. All right. Second go-round. So we got some good ones in today, it looks like. We'll go ahead and kick things right off. Uh, the first one we have is from uh, Mr. Dan and Henry. He's out of Langley, Virginia. Uh, his first question is, uh, how will the mining stocks do during deflation, and how will they do during inflation? Oh, great question. And I'm going to go under the assumption with the term of inflation and deflation that Mr. Henry is referring to Austrian economics versus Keynesian. And just, okay. for, just for clarification, uh, from the Austrian school, inflation is the expansion of our currency and deflation is, is just the opposite. Whereas in the Keynesian school, what we tend to hear in the, the mainstream media and the world of academia is that inflation is higher prices and deflation is lower prices, which are actually the effects of inflation and deflation. So I'm going to go into the assumption that we're, we're speaking of the Austrian school. We're actually experiencing it right now. When you have uh, the Federal Reserve over the last seven years has done unprecedented moves, essentially, um, as far as quantity, quantity that is, of expanding our currency our, and inflating our currency. And you see that it's basically market manipulation because it's shifting allocation to different asset classes. So right now, the mining stocks in particular, or natural resource stocks, they're really in a bear cycle. And in all actuality, they should be really increasing, uh, specifically precious metals, not all metals, because if demand is low, for instance, in copper, um, if demand is just low overall in consumer goods, then copper prices should be lower. But if you look at just overall the demand of precious metals, it's not um, declining. It's actually increasing. It's specifically in the gold and silver world uh, and specifically, again, in the East versus the West. Because in the East, you have the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and their citizenry, what are they doing? They're purchasing gold uh, and silver as well, and whereas in the West, we're not. We're sending our gold, and we believe in our currency and that will be the demise, probably, of the Western civilization as we know it as being the empires of uh, the monetary system as a whole. So great question, but the answer, I think, really lies in understanding that if you – if past is prologue, the best example I could probably give to this example would be John Law. Ben Bernanke basically did what John Law did. Uh, during the Louisiana uh, purchase and territory time, he expanded the uh, currency, and what you essentially had was massive inflation. Uh, it was, again, using the terms correctly here. So he created massive inflation, and what basically happened was the currency collapsed, and so did they. And hence, Louisiana is no longer part of France. It is now the United States, to, to surmise that. So great question. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. All right, good answer on that one. All right, uh, the next one comes from uh, Jason Reyes, and he is out of uh, Vandenberg, California. So let's see here. Um, he's got a letter here. It says, I uh, love the show, and I love the wealth of knowledge and information that you guys give. I have a question about metals prices. When will the prices of metals go up, and what will be the catalyst? Great question. I wish – where's my crystal ball? I, I'm sorry. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that is a great question. The answer is there's a number of catalysts out there. The one that I specifically look at is the first recipient of this massive inflation that we've had in our currency supply are the banks. 
And the banks have not really released that. So the first recipient that gets that new currency, uh, if they don't release it, if it just sits in your garage, you won't see any effects of it. I mean, give an example. If, you just, if they just put it in their garage, or the, not that a bank would put something in their garage, but if they just put it in their, in their safes, for better example, if they just leave it there, then you will not see the effects of inflation. Once they begin to lend that, you will see the effects of inflation. I think that will be the major catalyst um, to metal prices. So to give an example, if the Federal Reserve keeps interest rates where they are right now, discount points right now are 25 basis points, and they've been zero for seven years, but we're also looking at going negative. I wonder why. Because the banks, essentially, when it was 0%, they were borrowing at you know, 0.25%. In doing so, they're waiting to give you a loan at 6%. And they'll be able to do that once the Federal Reserve increases the actual interest rate that's out there right now from 0.25 to uh, 3, 4, 5 percent. That is when the banks release that currency that they've been holding on to, and that creates the velocity of the currency. So right now, the velocity of the currency is stagnant. But once that velocity kicks in the second, third, fourth gear, uh, the effects will be will be ravenous. It will be, of course, to the benefit of those who hold precious metals because people will start to see prices go up, which are the effects of inflation. Uh, but there are a number of other catalysts as well. Of course, you could always have a, a major default in a country um, and it could just cascade from one to the next. And uh, we know with the United States, it, it could just be a matter of time again where people begin to realize and I, I don't think this is the main way. I think that the, the, the predominant way of thinking how this would happen is, again, you have the banks dictating the velocity of the currency and the Federal Reserve is it's not in their hands really to to they're trying to I would say looking at their actions they don't want that velocity to occur so because right. their their mandate is two percent which is I always wonder and others as well where did the two percent come from if if two percent is good why isn't three percent good mm -hmm. why isn't four percent better so there I believe is where the metals prices, you will see the effects. When will that occur? I don't have a definitive answer. But at the same token, coincidentally, with that relationship is bonds. Um, bonds are not being purchased by other countries the way they were in the past, which is basically the difference between our revenues and what we receive via taxes as a country. To cover the deficit, we have to get bonds. And basically, who's the biggest bond purchaser is who? The Federal Reserve. Coincidentally, they issue or determine the amount of currency that's in circulation. So it's cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and, and, and so just is it is a matter of time. But the great question, really, I mean, the, the greatness of the question, I should say, really lies in the first word, is the word when. It is a when proposition, not an if proposition. And I always like that. And I and I hear Rick Rule, I, I like to, you know, I'm paraphrasing. That really is something Rick Rule would uh, say is it's not an if, it is a when proposition. So a uh, right. great question, but uh, that is what I'm looking for. Now, and I'll, I will say this: I'll be I'll be the first to admit this. The, before I came in the public domain, I was, uh, in some regards, disappointed because I thought one of the catalysts would be when Germany asked to have their gold repatriated, and the response from the Federal Reserve was seven years and eleven months. Now I thought right then that was the catalyst, and unfortunately, it really didn't pick up any steam at all. But I am aware the catalyst, if if there is going to be one, the one I'm really looking for 
It is the velocity of the currency. So thank you for the question. Indeed, good question. All right, thanks for that one. All right, uh, we have one coming from uh, Maxfire77, and actually this is a comment uh, from one of the one of the uh, videos here. Uh, I haven't heard you mention water rights recently. Do you still have a position in water rights? Absolutely. <laughs> That's a great question. My love and affinity for water rights has not diminished. Uh, actually, coincidentally, today we've reached out to uh, two uh, two publicly listed companies and one that deals with just private placement memorandums specifically regarding water rights to uh, share with listeners why uh, water rights are so important to have part of uh, to have an allocation towards uh, water rights in your portfolio. So thank you for the question. But water rights, it's uh, in the natural resource space, it doesn't really get too much uh, attention, but it is going to be one of those plays that you're going to you're going to miss out on because it'll be too late once you really find out about it. So I'm glad we're one of the 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 few that actually advocates a position in it and we're going to actually delve into some companies that actually provide on the uh, New York Stock Exchange and again be a private placement memorandums water rights. So thank you for the question. But just and if I may as well, the the price distortion with water rights is quite simple. You look at your water bill and how much water you use, and then you look at a bottle of water and how much it costs at a store. There's a price discrepancy, and the market needs to determine what the right price is. But at the same token, there are also parts of the United States that are going through droughts. And to be able to have a position strategically in those locations with companies that have water rights, and those companies, um, surprisingly, they're not identified as companies that are known for having water because their their nomenclatures are not water-based. Mm -hmm. um, so this is going to be uh, quite uh, interesting interviews that we plan to have here in the coming uh, weeks regarding water rights. So thank you for the question. And yes, I absolutely love water. Yes. <laughs> I love it myself. I use it daily. And, uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, living here in Southern California, uh, you know, we've been going through the droughts here and for the past maybe a year, or maybe two years now. So definitely that's something, uh, you know, if you live in this area, I know we have a lot of California listeners and, and subscribers. Uh, uh, it would be good for you guys to look into that. So definitely a great question. Very well, good and, question. and let me add on to that. Well, um, one of the companies is actually located there in California mm -hmm. that will be we plan to interview. So thank you again. Awesome. So that's great. All right. Um, let's see here. We have another question here. Uh, this one's coming from Mr. Danny Adolfo. He is out of Duluth, Georgia. Uh, I've actually been to that town. All right, and uh, he says, your articles on insurance and core were thorough, yet easy to read. Thank you for the clarification on how to construct my portfolio. Just to clarify, does it matter where I begin? It's a personal preference, but I would always say start with a strong foundation because the foundation is what's going to support the structure. It's not the funnest part, I should say. It's kind of dull and boring. So the, the foundation, of course, is owning money. And money is bullion. Um, and that's where I would begin. But the sexy, fun part is in the speculation and it's at the top of the pyramid. But um, have, but realizing that a pyramid, as you go up, it gets more narrow. So you should have less capital deployed to the um, speculative space. But it's, it's fun to be there. And there are certain times to be there. You, you listen to some of the interviews we've conducted, uh, Giant Bandari. So you look at some of those stocks he's provided. Those are speculative, and they belong at the top of the pyramid. Some of those are time-sensitive. So you you should be able to um, – it, it would 
be of interest then to use the time in the market analysis that he provides to take some of those positions. But for me, um, I enjoy building that foundation first. So for me, it's bullion, it's gold, silver, platinum, palladium. And then I move forward uh, towards a core position, which is the streaming and royalty companies. And then I can move a little bit further again into the growth. And for me, growth is the uh, prospect generators and water companies, water rights companies, and then the speculative, which is usually, for me, um, the speculative is going to be your junior mining companies. Okay. So thank okay. you for the question. Indeed, indeed. All right. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Adolfo. Uh, all right. So that looks like it wraps up the questions for this particular episode. And remember, we love to get your questions and your comments uh, as well. So if, uh, if any, any of you would like to shoot us an email, you can reach us, of course, at provenandprobable at gmail.com. Again, that's provenandprobable at gmail.com. So, uh, Maurice, it looks like we uh, got another one. All right. Thank you so much, sir. Indeed. Take care of yourself, boss. You too, sir. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.